everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, as promised, we are ending 2021. I can't believe it's already time to do that. We're ending 21 with another a slightly obscure but much-loved 80s one-hit wonder. Our guest this week is Rocky Burnett. Now, if you remember Rocky, it's probably from this song right here, Tired of Toeing the Line. I love this, this tune. It still holds up. It reached number eight on the pop charts in 1980. It's off his first album, The Son of Rock and Roll. Now, Rocky's solo career only lasted a couple of years there in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. But his music history stretches on for decades. His dad was Johnny Burnett, who was sort of the godfather or the king of rockabilly, modern rockabilly that we know. His cousin is Billy Burnett, who's had a long career of his own all this time. And you may remember Billy replaced Lindsey Buckingham in Fleetwood Mac there for a while in the late 80s. So Rocky and I share some, he shares some stories with us about early Hollywood, growing up in early Hollywood, hanging out with Elvis Presley, that kind of stuff, you know? After Rocky's solo career sort of stall, started to stall, he just picked up where his dad left off and went touring for decades, playing ro old rockabilly songs and doing it well. Unfortunately, Rocky is suffering from emphysema and uh, his health is pretty poor. So unfortunately, we didn't talk for too, too long, but what he gives us here is just some really fun, rich history of what it was like growing up in the, that part of the music industry and that part of Hollywood all those years ago. I, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but Rocky was another one of those guys that was an inspiration for me starting this podcast. If you had that hit, Tired of Toe in the Line, back in 1980, that is still so good, what, what's the rest of the story? I was dying to know, which is why I started this podcast. And thankfully, it finally worked out. All right? So I hope you enjoy this. Um, I hope, if nothing else, you'll find his music. It's kind of obscure because a lot of it never made it to even to CD. So it's, it's out there, hard to stream, hard to find, uh, unless you're probably an old vinyl crate digger. But anyway, hope you enjoy this. He called me from his home in L.A. Okay. Well, now let me ask you this. Are we allowed to talk about your health? Because it sounds like Any, there's a lot going on. Anything you want to talk about. I've got okay. nothing to hide these days. Great. So tell us about it, Rock. Well, you know what? I, I, I worked... Uh, well, for, first off, just let me say that, uh, uh, you know, I come from a musical family. Uh, yeah. My dad and my uncle, back in Johnny the Johnny and Dorsey. Yeah. Yeah, Johnny and Dorsey. They started off... Uh, actually, the... the I guess I could say that in uh, 51, 52, they were both amateur boxers in the Golden mm. Gloves Boxing in Memphis. Mm. And they lived about three or four blocks from Elvis Presley. No way. And uh, when they were, when my, my dad and Elvis were the same age, 14, when they were the 14 years old, Dorsey was a year older, uh, they had this little band they had together at Lauderdale Courts where Elvis lived with a, a young man named Neatly Denson. Huh. Uh, Lee Denson's mom and dad were both preachers, mm. and they lived at Lauderdale Courts, where Elvis lived. Uh, what had happened is uh, my dad and my uncle, their mom and dad, uh, my grandpa, my papa, back uh -huh. in Memphis, he was a, a coal miner, and he had got half his hand cut off in a coal mining accident. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. And uh, they 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 left the coal mine. Him and my grandmother went to Memphis along with uh, Elvis. Although he was from Tupelo, Mississippi, and his mom and dad ended up in Memphis too, in a couple of government projects. Huh. Uh, my my dad and my 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 my, my grandpa and my grandmother, my mama and my papa. Uh huh. They were in a place called Leavenworth, and about three or four blocks down the road was uh, Lauderdale Courts, which was also a government project. Oh, okay. So this is where they this is where they grew up. Yeah, everybody's right there. Yep. Yeah, and uh, right there in the early days of uh, of uh, uh, Memphis and mm-hmm. uh, Lauderdale, my dad, my uncle, because they had gotten into some trouble on the riverboats when they were very young. Mm. Uh, instead of going to um, reform school, they ended up at Catholic High. And Elvis, uh, he was a, a he was a good kid, and uh, he uh, he wasn't in reform school, but he ended up at Humes High School in uh, in, in 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 Memphis. Mm-hmm. But my dad and Dorsey used to have to walk by there, and they had a couple of girls they were sweet on. <laughs> so they'd sit out on the front yard of uh, of the of the high school, the public school, yeah. and uh, play their guitars. Wow! And Elvis would be out there. They'd all play their guitars together. And the first little band they had together was my dad and Dorsey and Lee Denson and Elvis Presley. Oh, they were in a band together at one point. They were, when they were in young? a band together. No I way! Know it. And and the thing that split the band up was. Dorsey and Elvis were sweet on the same girl named oh. it was a girl named Bonnie, <laughs> and it caused some friction in the in the thing. And uh, anyway, um, wow, that whole thing about uh, Elvis and his banana and uh, peanut butter sandwiches—those mm-hmm. were my grandmother that made those. <laughs> no way, <laughs> that's the truth. And uh, wow, uh, anyway. Uh, uh, a few years went by, and my dad and Dorsey, they they did the little uh, sock hops around town, mm-hmm. and Elvis, but they all worked together at Crown Electric. Mm. And uh, 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 Dorsey and Paul Burleson were both journeymen, and my dad and uh, Elvis were, were, were drivers. They, they drove the trucks, and uh, they stayed in contact that way anyway. Uh, one thing led to another, and uh, my dad and Dorsey and uh, uh, went to New York, and Elvis went down the street to Sam Phillips. Wow! And uh, the rest, you know, was yeah. basically rock and roll history. So yeah, so your dad, your along brother, that line, I was born. <laughs> yeah, right. I was born, <laughs> and then my brother and my cousin Billy, uh, my yeah. cousin Patrick. We were all born really, you know, those were right. the early days. My dad was like 19 years old when I was Crazy. born. But he and, died uh, course, when, at 30, right? In 64, you were only like 10 or 11 years old. I was I was 11. My brother was uh, 9. Oh. And uh, we were at Clear Lake, uh, California. That was 1964. We had gone there three years in a row right after my dad had your 16 and dreaming. Yeah. And it was just where we went to, for vacations. Oh. And uh, my dad and two friends of ours from the neighborhood were on the boat. The only two, the only two boats on the lake that night, collided with each other. Oh my god! And uh, my dad was on this just this little tiny yeah. tiller steering uh, boat, yeah. little fourteen, fifteen foot little boat. 
and collided with this big cabin cruiser and they wow. were they they were hit from behind by this guy and my dad went uh, under the water and uh, uh-huh. that was the day the music died for us you know yeah. it was uh, yeah. it was uh, you know August 14th 1964 Clear Lake California when just a few years earlier uh, my dad's buddies uh, Buddy Holly and Big Bopper oh, they died yeah. in Clear Lake Clear Lake Iowa Iowa yes oh my yeah. god so it was a, it was a weird Tragic. you know yeah. Tragic. So, so, so know, I got to ask, Rock, I mean, were you, uh, I mean, it sounds like with your pedigree and the people in your family and your, you know, cousin Billy and everybody, music was pretty much there from the beginning. Did you ever consider doing anything else or were you always, you know, headstrong that you were going to go into the business yourself? Well, me and Billy, uh, we were, uh, Billy and I, we were the oldest okay. and uh, we got to go places where the other kids didn't get to go. And when my dad and Dorsey would go uh, to the studio, they'd take us. You know, uh, Billy got, uh, Billy, uh, Dorsey got Billy the uh, guitar lessons, but on the condition that I got to go with him. Uh-huh. So so we'd get on the bus, you know, every day in the San Fernando Valley yeah. and take the bus into Hollywood, Hollywood and Vine. Mm-hmm. And we'd get there just about the same time Joey Bishop and Regis Philbin would be walking down Sunset and Vine doing their daily uh, walk oh, before they started their show that night, which was in competition with the Johnny Carson show. So we got to know Reach. We got to know Reach way back then when we were like uh, mm-hmm. 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And we'd, uh, we'd go into our uh, guitar lesson just after Jimmy Cagney, James Cagney, the actor... <laughs> would have his guitar lesson. <laughs> and Cagney was there with our, our guitar teacher, Burdell Mathis, Bird, Mathis, right next to Jay Sebring's uh, hair-cutting place. Wow. Uh, right uh, about a block away from Wallach's Music City. And, and James Cagney, while he was making a movie back in the 40s, he had got his, his uh, hand uh, smashed in some type of accident. And he lost the muscle in his thumb. Really? So Burdell was trying to show him a chord that he could play without that muscle in his thumb. And we would go in and have our lesson, and Jimmy Cagney would slip out the back, and he'd give us a nod by his head. And uh, we just thought that was the greatest thing, you know, because... Whoa! You know, by then, everybody was watching the old movies... Of course, you know, Yankee Doodle and everything else. Yeah, that's oh, a and, legend. And, here, and, and we, we used to tell people, hey, we got to see Jimmy Cagney today or James Cagney, <laughs> and nobody would believe us, you know. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was some of the things that we got to do when we were kids. That's incredible. Were incredible. We got to be, uh, Herb Albert and Jerry Moss, when they first started recording before uh, they bought the big studio, they... They both, when they did the early recordings of the Tijuana Brass and the Burrito Brothers and all that, uh-huh. they did it at Armand Steiner's house right there in Hollywood. <laughs> That's before they had bought the, uh, what was the little tramp, uh, uh, Charlie Chaplin. Oh, yeah, before yeah. Before they bought the Chaplin Studios, you know. Wow. We actually did background voices for them before they had gotten, you know. Oh, man. Uh, as a matter of fact, just before my dad died, he had started his own record company. And uh, the record label was called, first it was 
Empire, then Sahara. Both those names were taken, so we ended up with Magic Lamp Records. Uh, the first person, the first group that they recorded was Richard and Karen Carpenter. Really? Richard and Karen oh. Carpenter, yeah. And what happened was, was my dad died, and the, 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 uh, the company kind of, well, it kind of fell apart. Sure. And Joe Osborne, the bass player, uh, the famous bass player that was part of, you know, the Glenn Campbell, Tommy Tedesco. Yeah. Uh, that group ended up going over to A&M. And uh, wow. the rest is like, you know. So if your dad hadn't died, yeah, if yeah, your dad hadn't died, he could have been the guy who, well, he did a bunch exactly. of his own stuff, he but also been, then you know, discovered the Carpenters and who knows who exactly, else. Exactly, exactly. Wow. That's what, what would have, that's wow. probably what would have happened. And it was, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, just a terrible tragedy. It and, is uh, for everybody. So are yeah. you starting out then as a young kid thinking with stars in your eyes, like, I want this too, and then playing, you know, in ba- honky-tonks or uh, bars well, or clubs that, around L.A.? Did. Okay. That's, that's, that's what we did. Uh, Billy had his group. I had my group. Uh, I sang with a young guy by the name of Tim Sullivan. We did kind of an Everly oh, Brothers yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, Billy, Billy was working with... Uh, uh, Delaney and Bonnie at the time. Ah, uh, okay. And, I mean, he was working with people like Eric Clapton and, mm. uh, you know, all the people that uh, uh, Delaney and uh, and Bonnie worked with at the time. Uh, Billy's always been a great songwriter and a yeah. great rhythm guitar player. Right. I mean, he's worked for uh, everybody from Bob Dylan to sure. John Fogarty and... Uh, you know, you saying this... Yeah, he was, in now, Mac for, he was in Fleetwood Mac for 10 years. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is that you, you talking about kind of what, where his pedigree comes from or his bona fides in the Bob Dylan and the Eric Clapton and Delaney and Bonnie camps. No wonder Billy was on the minds of the, of the Fleetwood Mac people when it came time to replace Lindsey Buckingham. That makes well, so much I had more actually, sense. I had actually uh, uh, done a world tour on the Tusk tour. They had Christopher Cross opening up for the show. <laughs> Eric Clapton yeah. and, and uh, 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 Mick Fleetwood were brothers-in-law. Oh. Uh, I can't remember who was married to who, but... Uh, right. And that was Mick was, wives ago. Whoever Mick was. was over at Eric Clapton's house, and they were playing pool. And Eric said, hey, I want to I play you this new song. And, and, and he played him Tired of Two on the Line, which was my song, and he said... Yeah. Listen to the slide guitar on this thing, and Eric went on to play it like fifteen times. Really, they were playing pool, yeah. And 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 uh, uh, Mick said, "Who is that?" And he said, "That's Rocky Burnett. It's Johnny Burnett's son." So and you're the one playing the slide guitar on there. Uh, that was Chris. Uh, uh, that was Chris Brochus playing slide okay. guitar. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Continue. <laughs> anyway, he ended up being in Billy's band. Hmm. Chris, Chris and me and Billy's band Jawbone, uh, we all played together at the Sundance Saloon, and we had played there for two or three years before. This was just prior to us having our own records out that, that, that did really well. Billy was with Columbia, and I was with EMI, and uh, that was just prior to... Anyway, I got to know Mick Fleetwood. and. Sure. And John and Stevie and Lindsay and um, I introduced Billy to Mick, 
and they mm. began uh, they they were friends and started a band together in between the Fleetwood Mac records Mick Fleetwood Zoo. I I didn't realize that. Yeah. That <laughs> wow. was Billy and Mick's band for many okay. many years for like 3 or 4 years and when uh Stevie and Lindsay left the band Billy took over, and his girlfriend was Becca Bramlett, Delaney Bramlett's daughter. Oh, right. And, and they took over for Lindsay and Stevie. <laughs> and made millions. Yes, of course they did. Wild. Made millions until uh, Warner Brothers offered Mick and John and Christine about 20 or 30 million bucks if they got back together with Stevie and uh, Lindsay. And so uh, That's what... Billy and... Anyway, let me... Yeah, uh, 95, 96 with the dance, John, sure. I, you know, to tell you the truth, John, I've lived a great life. Yeah. I've done things that... Uh, I've been around the world 50 times. I've got a chance to... All my dreams came true. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not that... Uh, but here lately, I just all of a sudden... You know, because I've got... Uh, I had two daughters. I lost my oldest daughter several years ago to a heart attack. Oh. And my youngest daughter, she's a teacher over in South Central Los Angeles. And wow. She's a great girl. I've got two grandchildren from my first daughter and then two great-grandsons from my first daughter. Wow. Um, and I really live for them. Yeah. And I, yeah. I try to stick around just so they, uh, you know, so they can have a... Yeah. Their grandpa. A great-grandpa, yeah. yeah. A, yeah, a grandpa and a great-grandpa, and I just, you know, I take it one day at a time. Yeah. My doctors are really surprised that I'm uh, still kicking. Uh-huh. Let's talk about the good, the kind of the good old days, when Tired of Toe in the Line comes out, and it's a big hit, and Son of Rock and Roll is out. Why did it not continue? Like, for instance, what was the second single after Tired of Towing the Line? I don't even know. Well, uh, what happened was is uh, EMI went bankrupt. Oh. I got caught right in the middle of that where it became EMI Manhattan. Uh, I went on and my second album came out with uh, what I thought was going to be uh, MCA. But it was, and it was some kind of tax deal. Mm. And uh, I got caught up in the middle of all this malarkey. So what I did was I went back to what I started. I started doing my dad's rockabilly music. I noticed, yeah. And uh, I, I went, I, I, I went and did that for the next. I got with Paul Burleson, my dad's original guitar player. Yeah. And we started doing the rockabilly gigs. Scotty Moore, DJ Fontana, Elvis's first two uh, wild uh, band members, and uh, for the next twenty-five years, we did rockabilly shows all over the world. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I noticed. So here's the deal. I have your first album. Um, I don't collect vinyl, but some friends sent me the files of your first album, and I love it. Um, I love Fallen in Love, by the way. That's such a good song. Oh, thanks. I love, yeah. That was a big hit in Australia.
That's what I heard. Number four in uh, Australia was a great big hit there. Love it. And then, uh, but that's all I know. That and Wampus Cat, and um, which I've heard because it's streaming, it's available. But like your uh, second yeah. album, Heartstopper, um, is nowhere to be found. And I and I was even trying to find clips on YouTube of what was on it. There's a clip of you singing it on Solid Gold, and that's it. That's all I can find. That's it. That's all it was. Uh, me, uh, my, uh, uh, an old-time friend of mine, uh, Moon Martin, who wrote Bad Case oh. of Loving You. Yeah. Uh, we wrote that song together, went in with Bill House and recorded it. And that was the first song on my second LP for EMI that got sold to MCA that ended up on a company called The Goods. I was curious. I wanted you to tell us about what it's like being on Solid Gold. Is there a studio audience? I always had the impression that there wasn't actually one. No, there was a studio audience, and they had all the dancers. But you had to fly up to Vancouver, Canada, uh, to do the show, and it was run by a good friend of mine. I I knew him for years, and he brought me back for the uh, Heartstopper thing. Huh. But uh, uh, we had done uh, Toe on the Line twice. Yeah. And then Boogie Down in Alabama with with him. Produced and directed and hosted uh, Solid Gold. It was an old-time friend of mine. I Are you talking about Rex the... Smith? Oh, God, am I tears it? No, no, that was the host. Yeah, Rex was one of the uh, hosts. One of the shows. I did, I did a show with uh, my old buddy, Andy Gibb. Of course, the yeah. The first one I did was with uh, Dionne Warwick. Yeah. The <laughs> uh, second one I did was with the girl from the Fifth Dimension. Marilyn McCoo. Mara McCoo, and man, she was like six and a half feet tall. Really? Oh, and yeah. I felt, like, I felt like Billy Barty standing next to her. <laughs> but she was the sweetest, she was the sweetest lady, and I got to know her husband, Billy... Um, Davis, right? Yeah, Billy Davis, when uh-huh. they were separated, and we did a couple of uh, dinners together. No way. Uh, for Sammy Davis Jr., and uh, we talked about her, but they got back together after that. Yeah. Good. And then, uh, then I did the, the one with Andy and Rex. So I did that show actually four times. Yeah, which was which was more than I think anybody else did. Probably. Uh, Billy and got was... to do it, and uh, I went down with Billy one day when he was filming with Mickey Gilly and oh fun and Sylvester Stallone's brother Frank Stallone. Uh huh. <laughs> who was the funniest guy? Frank was the funniest guy, and he was. I thought he was a better actor than his brother. Yeah, 
<laughs> but uh, we used to see each other down at Norm's Rare Guitars, and we'd. He's just a funny guy. That whole That's both great. of them were just had the funniest sense of humor. And you know, uh, Billy and me were I- Irish and Italian. Uh huh. But Billy, Billy got all the Italian parts, and I got stuck with all the Irish parts. <laughs> so we had this common thing with the Stallones. And, uh, you know, that, that Irish, we used to talk about when we were kids eating pasta vazool and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, all the peasant food that the, uh, right. the poor Italians would eat, you know, and uh, right. uh, that's what we grew up on, you know. That's wild. That is so fun. So, okay, so then after your, your solo career, those first, I think it's two or three albums, uh, after that, you decide to go back and st- restart the rock and roll trio, right? And that's what you yeah. do for from then on. There is a song that I found in trying to get ready to talk to you that I it's uh, I'm blanking on the name now, but it was on the Speed Zone soundtrack. Is that it? Perfect Crime. Vanelli's brother, Ross Vanelli. Oh, really? <laughs> Do you remember Gino Vanelli? Sure, of course. Yeah. Well, his brother Ross, him and his dad had a studio out in Thousand Oaks, and they were looking for a, you know, a singer, you know, uh-huh. in my, uh, uh, in my vein that uh, they could do these movies for, and they were doing a John Candy movie, uh, Speed Zone. That's it. And uh, we did that song, and they put it in like three other movies, uh, <laughs> really? the same song. And uh, I was supposed to do an album with them, but for some reason or other, it just uh, it didn't mm. it didn't happen. And uh, okay, we, I did a couple of other songs with them. Good for other Good. movies, but that was uh, Ross Vanelli, Gino Vanelli's okay. uh, brother. I didn't realize that. You know, something else I remember relating to movies. I went and saw. Uh, Adam Sandler's Grown Ups 
movie, or maybe it was Grown Ups 2, or whatever it was. I was Grown Ups 2. I was Grown Ups 2. That's it. I remember so well hearing that song and it just warming my heart because I've actually heard, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard that Adam Sandler sometimes specifically reaches out to. Like uh, he plays, he places songs in his mu- movies on purpose to kind of highlight something he loves that he feels like isn't known as much. He's and used I w- me a few times in his movies. Yes, he really has. Yeah. So I have. And I've I always had the impression it. that yes, that Adam Sandler was like, you know what? Let's give Rocky Bur- Burnett some mailbox money. I'm going to put toe in the line in Grown Ups too. Oh, I mean, it's it's paid the bills a few times. That's great. That is great. Uh, him, him, and uh, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Were, were were fans, and they've used uh, "Toe on the Line," uh, "Baby Tonight." Well, you talked about Wampus Cat the other. That yeah. was a thing I did in Spain oh, uh, with uh, Carlos Diaz. Well, a long Wampus Cat came down. I took my woman from my castle down. I thought I had built me a mansion so high. Until one night my baby said goodbye. Well, she's long gone. I don't know where. Letting nobody tell you that you don't care. Gonna find my baby, gonna bring her back. Got a one-way ticket down a one-way track. Cause I'm long gone to get my gal. I don't know where and I don't know how. I think she's got some folks that live in Baltimore. I'll go to the Atlantic, to the Pacific Shore, cause I'm a long gone. Bring her back. One way ticket down a one way track, yeah. We had written a couple of songs together, and he uh, has the big rockabilly show there in Barcelona, huh. uh, just south of Barcelona there, and he's had the same rockabilly show for 25 years. Interesting. Uh, but he's always, we, we go down there, he gets me a place on the Mediterranean, uh, and his, his, his best buddy, Santi, has a little bar and food place right on the sand there on the Mediterranean, and he makes me a paella. <laughs> which is a uh, a Spanish uh, dish with rice and seafood. So yeah, so and, uh, good. I mean, I did that for him for 15 years, him and his wife, Mars. And uh, they'd show up here in Las Vegas, and uh, uh, we'd all get together and have, uh, you know, I made so many great friends from around the world. And uh, yeah, it, it was always just, you know, I mean, yeah. my life was like a big party for, for like 45 years. <laughs> I, it was, it it was just like a big it. rockabilly party. Yeah. And oh, I, I, I just, I never, I thought it would last forever and I was wrong. Yeah. Do, let me ask you about that. When you transitioned from, you know, forging your own solo career with those first two albums and then restarting the trio, was there a sense in you that like, well, my solo career is not, taken off it's not becoming what i'd like it to be this other avenue is available to me i'm going to go down that road instead or was that seen as like uh an excellent step like i don't i don't want to do this anymore i'd rather play rockabilly me and billy really when we were like teenagers we had taken the original rock and roll trio stuff 
tear it up, train kept a rolling, yeah. honey hush. And we tried to sell that stuff every place we went. And everybody said, Rockabilly, the Pompadour, it was all yesterday's news. Uh And quit trying to do it. Do your own stuff. So we started doing that. Meanwhile, Robert Gordon on the East Coast and Ray Campy on the West Coast were doing Rockabilly. And there was a little band that would come after them called the Stray Cats. That's it. Yep. And then all of a sudden, Rockabilly was back. That's right. And me and Billy had gone off and done our own stuff. And we kind of felt left out of the band. We felt left out of the show. Right. right. So when when uh, the Billy's Columbia thing uh, fizzled and my uh, EMI thing started to fizzle, we just started doing the rockabilly thing with a stand-up bass again. Yeah. And uh, I was able to take it for years. And Billy went into Fleetwood Mac. So. Wild. Wild. So it was... Uh, That's great. It was... It was something we loved doing, and all of a sudden yeah. I'm going, I mean, I, I did uh, Europe and England, Australia, South Africa, all of those things for the next 25 years. That's crazy. I am curious, when you were, uh, when you were still on your own, that first couple, those first couple albums, who were you going on tour with? Because you're on pop radio. I mean, Rockabilly had its moment. And it's it's never gone away, but it was uh, in the forefront thanks to the Stray Cats. But for the lar- for the most part, it's been more of a, like on the fringe, more of a cult thing. So well, when you I, were in the public consciousness, who did you go on tour with? Tell me stories about that period well, in your life. I started out. I started out with uh, opening them for a lot of big bands, which I wouldn't have done again if I'd have oh, known better. But I started off with uh, uh, the Doobie Brothers and oh, uh, them. the Little River Band. Yeah, uh, I went on tour with Doctor Hook. Oh, really? Not, they were they were big in this country for a while, uh, but they were huge over in Europe. Huh? They were like, I'm not going to say they were as big as the Beatles, but they were yeah so big over in England and Europe that uh, to get on to become the opening act in their show was really a feather in your cap. Yeah, yeah. And so I did that, and then that's when uh, uh, Mick. When they when when uh, Christopher Cross left the tour, the Tusk uh-huh. tour, uh-huh. Uh, Mick hired me, and I did something like seventy shows with Fleetwood Mac. That's wild. That and wild. Uh, I, I remember uh, Christine McVie was going out with uh, Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys. Really? And oh yeah, and he was just like, I never met him unless he was in a horizontal position. Uh huh. He was just always, you know, just out there, but uh, yeah, yeah. a nice guy, and she loved him, and uh, they were all fighting with each other at the time. Yeah. They all had different limos to the shows and uh, different dressing rooms, but uh, uh, Mick Fleetwood's uh, book tells the whole story, the Tusk yeah. tour. Yeah, and um, Wild. I mean, that's a, they're one of the most drama-filled bands, I guess you could say, in history. I mean, oh, every you know, every chapter of their career is full of just drama and love and sex and drugs and hatred and I, everything else, you know? The, the rock and roll, the, the, you know, just the true rock and yeah. roll story right there. That's it. That's it. Yep. That's it. Um, did you get to see yourself on uh, MTV? Oh, yeah. Yeah? In fact, that early group, we were the first... 
I think I was the first or second video on MTV. <laughs> when all I that started right. with the with the five or six DJs, I'm trying to yeah. think of. Uh, you know, I remember Goodman, and I remember uh, the two girls. Uh, Martha Quinn, Nina Blackwood, uh, Alan Martha Hunter, Quinn JJ and Nina Jackson. Blackwood, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we started with them, and they were so humble. A year later, they were the stars. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they didn't have time for us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. that's the way all that went, you know. And then MTV became... And then a few years later, they weren't showing any videos at all. That's right. It's so frustrating. Um, I wanted to ask you, too, about that first album again, because that's, that's the only one I really know very well. Who produced that? Because when I listen back to that album, it reminds me a lot of what Jeff Lynne has done over the years, especially you know, his work with like George that Harrison. Because uh, that was a big part of what we were doing, and we loved really? Jeff Lynne. Yeah. Uh, but that was Bill House. Okay. He was a guy that I used to write with his brother, Stan House. And me and Bill became uh, good friends. And Bill got a chance. He was working with Terry Melcher. Dorstay's son. Uh-huh. Uh, they went over to England, and uh, Bill was allowed to, to produce a record on himself, and he was allowed one artist uh, to uh, cut a record with, and he chose me. Wow. So wow. we went over to uh, Wales, a place called Rockfield, Wales, Uh-huh. and we cut Tired Until on the Line. Wow. And Clowns in Outer Space. Your desire Change from fire to ice You left me standing on The edge of the night Like a cloud in outer space You drove my heart across the galaxy And in my universe you placed One in And we ended up doing a whole uh, album there at Christmas. Uh, came out and uh, Toe on the Line became a top 10 record. Yeah. So it was yeah. great. That is great. So we were talking about the Jeff Lynn connection. Well, I, you know, we were big fans of, uh, I was a big fan of ELO. Yeah. And my girlfriend and I, uh, we went out and saw them at the Forum on a Monday or Tuesday night, and uh, the next day, my girlfriend was coming home from work, and she got hit oh. on the street by a heroin addict and was killed. Uh, oh. So Jeff Lynn was a big part of my life. I told him that yeah. story 10 years later at Mick Fleetwood's wedding to Sarah. Anyway. Uh, wow. You were, Mick you were at Mick Fleetwood's wedding? Yeah, we were at Make Fleetwood's That's wedding so when great. I told him the story of Carol and Oh man. Carol was uh she was just a a beautiful young girl that just loved me so much and yeah. uh Oh, it's too bad. Uh she was uh, tragically killed 
uh, in that car accident, and uh, that's horrible. You've had a long time to get over that. Yeah, you've had a lot of tragedy in your life, Rocky. Well, there's been a little bit of that, and it's there's been great highs and great lows, but uh, uh, you know, uh, that's life. You know, that's That's sad. Well, you've made the best of it, at least. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah, when I listen to that album, it reminds me a lot of some of the slide guitar that like uh, George Harrison might have used on "All Things Must Pass." Yeah, you know, something like the Traveling Wilburys. Yes, stuff. exactly. It. That's it. And uh, so I was—I've always wondered who's even who's playing on this, who's providing this sound, and was that a touchstone for you while you were creating it? I just grew up, you know, uh, with uh, you know my dad and Dorsey had all these great musicians from. James Burton to Glenn D. Harden, Glenn Campbell, mm-hmm. uh, all these great musicians, and it continued on with me and Billy. Yeah, we had some of the greatest musicians of our time playing with us. Yeah, and uh, we were always really fortunate when it came to the musicians we had playing with us. Right. Um, tell me a story. I mean, I'm I'm blown away by everything you've said so far. The weddings and the people you've played pool with and the. <laughs> All of this stuff. Tell me what are some of your favorite stories on this career of yours? That's been, I mean, you've basically been in show business your whole life. My so whole you've life. seen a ton. Yeah. yeah. It's my whole life. It's been... Uh, Have you had any famous girlfriends? Uh, you know what? Know? I've, had, I've had the chance at a couple of famous girlfriends. Okay. okay. Where I almost had some dates, and I'm afraid to mention them because uh, I've seen that cause people a lot of trouble. Okay. okay. Uh, all you know, and in, in fact, it's uh, it's always been the women of my life that have been the strong ones. Mm. I mean, I had great grandmothers. I had a great mother that raised two boys without a father. Uh, my two grandmothers were great. Uh, I had several girlfriends and an ex-wife that were just you know great, powerful Good. women. So. Good. I've always been lucky in that that department. So, uh, are you married now, or are you on your no, own? No, no, no. I've been. Okay. Uh, uh, I married once to my childhood sweetheart Diane. She was a mm. twin, mm. and Billy would go with the other twin. <laughs> uh, but I married mine, and uh, we had, uh, you know, we had the kids together, and uh, she was. Uh, I I still talk to her to this day. That's great. She's a beautiful woman, and. Uh, it's just tough to, music business is a tough thing to keep a marriage going, you know. I believe it. That's what everyone says. But uh, How are you able to take care of yourself now? Do you have, I mean, are you able to do, I mean, you're, with your health being what it is, are you able to pr- take care of yourself okay, or do you have health? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be 68 years old this year. Okay. And if I hadn't have smoked, I probably lived to been 80. Yeah. You know, and, and lived pretty good because I was never sick a day in my life. Yeah. But because of the cigarettes and uh, all the other partying I did, you know, it's just not going to... Right. Uh, I'm not going to die, you know, in, uh, at 85, you know. It's, yeah. it's, I'm lucky I'm still alive right now. True. But, uh, you know, I take it one day at a time. Good. When you look back, and this is a question I ask pretty much everyone I interview, I'm always curious if they have any regrets. Do you look, If you look back, is one of your regrets even beginning smoking? Would you say that well, was one of the biggest? Yeah, yeah, I wished I'd have never smoked. But I was one of those arrogant smokers. I'd smoke everywhere. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was just ruthless about it. Yeah. I didn't think I could quit. I tried to quit. 
It wasn't until they told me you're going to have another cigarette, you're going to be dead. Then all of a sudden I quit, and I said, why did I ever do that? But uh, I did, and, you know, to this day, I just, you know, I pray every night, you know, God heal me, and I, 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 I tried my best, you know, because I haven't had a cigarette in five years now. Oh, good. Uh, but but it's still, uh, you know, it did it did its damage yeah. on me, and uh, yeah, you know, what can you do? Yeah. Well, uh, Rocky, I just I love you, and I just wanted you to know, like I said, this you don't know me, but this I started this podcast six years ago because I wanted to talk to the people that I love that I didn't know enough about, and you well, were one of those people. And so this, you and I having this conversation right now is the culmination of six years of me hoping that this would happen. And it finally well, happened. So thank John, you. Don't forget about me. You know, call me back. Ooh, I will. Let's do it again because, you know, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and say, why didn't I tell John this? Or <laughs> I wasn't feeling really good. You know, I woke up and I'm still not breathing good right now. Yeah, I, I So know. I think I could, you know, I think I could expand more on this, but you... You keep my phone number. Okay. Check back with me. I will. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you, Rocky. And uh, here I am, John. Call me okay. anytime. I will. I will. Thank you so much, sir. It's good to talk to you. Have a good uh, one. Thank you. All right. There you have it. Rocky Burnett. Such a sweet guy. I hope he's doing okay. We did this a few months ago, and I haven't heard from him since. Not that I always keep in total touch with everybody I talk to on here, but I hope his health is hanging in there. He was a really sweet guy. I want to close it out with another song off of The Son of Rock and Roll. This is Angel and Chambray. And it's really the only album of his that I know from that stellar, you know, peak solo career of the early 80s. If you guys have his uh, other stuff on vinyl, let me know. Maybe you can share some of the files with me. I'd love to have them. They're hard to find. Um, Okay, we're done with 202021. That's it. And I hope you feel like we had a good year. I do. I think we had some really stellar people on this year. Next week, as I often do, I try to kick off the new year with a really, with a bang, with a really big uh, episode, a big guest. And so our guest next year, or next year, next week is one of the biggest producers of the 80s. Uh, He basically defined and created the sound of certain parts of alternative rock and indie music for the 80s and 90s. That's our guest next week, all right? Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Mamakiewicz. Thank you, buddy, for doing this with me. Uh, You guys know you can like our page on Facebook. You can keep in touch with us on there, or you can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And uh, Yan and I will be recording our end-of-the-year kind of recap episodes. So be thinking about what your favorite episodes of this year have been and send us those links or those lists. Okay. We want to know so we can factor it in. We'll do the countdown. Thanks everybody. We love you. Happy new year.